Knock, knock. Uh, who's there? This, that. This, that, who? Ah, oh, shit. I fucked it up already. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say this, the. Oh. Knock, knock. <laughs> Come on, okay. let's do this. Okay. Come on. Right, go for it. Knock, knock. Who's there? This, the. This, the who? Is this the show? <laughs> It's really funny what our relationship has become in the office. Tell me. At least previously, we used to be like, hey, how's it going? And now it's just like nods of acknowledgement <laughs> that you're alive. Save it for the show, Sam. <laughs> I'm giving you nothing in real life. It's just, I mean, we've gone from saying like hi to like eyebrow raises. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then I feel like that's also, if I'm lucky, <laughs> that'll happen. <laughs> but we've substituted in several hours of talking every week. That's true. I guess I guess that's the trade-off. In a slightly more structured fashion than many people might be mm. listening to. Yeah, you know, I have been thinking that uh, it's a nice way for me to summarize the week. Sort of like a diary or a journal. Yeah, and that's made me realize that I've done fuck all this week. So let's start the corrections, omissions, and updates. We were talking about your previously secret, unmentioned rating of Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art. So I would have said that I gave a four out of five last time but then the more i thought about it um i think the thing that i really liked about it was only sort of a one facet dimension of that book which was the the embodiment of the resistance and then i realized like there's really nothing for me to take away that's actionable i think it really caters to people who are either like a painter or a writer or maybe even like a student where they can just like get up in the morning and straight away they can do that thing that they're supposed to be doing in terms of yeah there's nothing in there for teamwork although i think at the, you know as i think as i said at the time there's no actionable items i take away it's nice to have a construct and a way to think of why is it that i don't feel like writing a song right now or what's stopping me from you know just opening up my sketchbook and doing some sketches yeah i think that's true i think i think there is uh the benefit that i have from that from his book is that it will allow me to think about not procrastinating and just doing the things that I need to do right away. So your new rating, the revised secret rating, so you don't really need to revise it at all. My revised rating would be three out of five stars. Perhaps we could do future ratings on like the net promoter score. Net promoter score is sort of like the index for websites and services. Yes, like how likely are you recommend? How likely are you to recommend this mm. to a friend? I think that could work with books as well. Yeah. Well, perhaps we can. Uh, I can take an action point to look into rating systems. We can apply that <laughs> to our book club next week. On top of our three by threes, the three by three allows three allows you to delve deep and analyze part of the book, and then the ratings gives you like the overview. What else do we have to follow up upon? Um, I did play a game of Sentinels of the Multiverse. Do you want to do your echoing reverberation? Uh, uh, would you please? <clears throat> So I played a game of Sentinels of the Multiverse. So I was able to play a game of it, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week. I have issues with it. Right. Because when you talked about it earlier, you mentioned, mm -hmm. I think, like aesthetic problems with the actual design of the game itself, of the, you know, the cards. Yeah. So I think the gameplay and some of the mechanics are really creative. But really, the, the thing that drew me away from purchasing this game were the aesthetics. Had you seen it in real life before? Yes, I'd seen it in real life. Okay. Um, so the game is very comic book themed. Each player is in charge of a, a comic book type hero. And so the artwork is, um, is trying to mimic that. And I'm sure it's an actual comic book artist. Yeah, it's just kind of cheesy. It's not really fleshed out well. It looks a little cartoony and not really like the the nice sort of comic book type characters so yeah it's it, that was like one of the things that drew me away from it you know when i actually started playing it it sort of like that aspect fell a little bit into the background um the good thing that it has for that artwork style it's it's consistent throughout so i think they did use one artist and so that was nice but sadly it is uniformly displeasing <laughs> exactly but at least uh, they're consistent about it. <laughs> right. It, I think it actually would have been interesting if each character was drawn by a different artist. And then it feels like each character is like from its own comic book and they're all sort of getting together to, to fight this common foe. One of the biggest issues that I had with it is that the characters are creative, 
But if you just look at the character card or or your the, your information of the card, there's really no indication of what you're supposed to do with that character or how it plays. And so if I was supposed to compare this to like Forbidden Island, which is a game that you've played before. It is true, yes. Uh, if you have the character like the Navigator, you kind of instantly know what that character's special abilities will be. Right. Yes, it even right. says on the back of the card. Exactly. And um, But it also gives you a hint of like, being in that character's shoes and saying, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the navigator. Like I kind of know how to behave. I'll lead the team this way and that way." Right. The actual name of the thing gives you a clue as to what's the role. Yeah. Like if you're the scuba guy, like you can go underwater, or like moving underwater is very easy for you. Yeah, I think I would have totally taken that for granted. Right, and the character names in Sentinels of the Multiverse is like uh, the legacy. Are they very good at dealing with old software? <laughs> <laughs> see that would have been creative and that would have actually fit into what he would actually do the legacy is sort of a tank character where it soaks up the damage and it minimizes the damage to himself and the team yeah that's not what legacy means to me and then another character was called the wraith in the game you have these type of cards which are equipment cards and this character is supposed to be like the batman of the universe where it just has like a whole bunch of equipment but then again, like the Wraith, it's like a ghost and it's a picture of like this ghostly character and it's not indicative of how you're supposed to play that character. Were you playing with people who had played this game before? Yeah, and they would just tell me, yeah, that character is a tank. But then because I was not familiar with the character's cards that were in his deck, I didn't know what I had to wait for or if I were supposed to use the cards in a certain way. And so it was just sort of all odd. That's a pretty good t- sum- summation right there. But... Um, I think there's hope. Like, I think if they made another iteration of the game, tightened a few things, made the artwork better, I think a really good game can come out of it. Well, thank you for playing that game on my behalf. Maybe if there was... Sentinels of the Multiverse 2. The Legacy. The Legacy continues. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe there's hope. The final piece of corrections omissions and updates is the number of ninjas that you're drawing right i was pretty sure i wanted to say a hundred ninjas but for some reason i said a thousand ninjas yeah i remember thinking at the time oh that seems ambitious but i then couldn't quite quantify yeah like it's hard to imagine how many ninjas that is i mean even if i like yeah even if i was if i was drawing one ninja a night Right, because I asked you like what the time frame was, and you said you you said three years, mm-hmm. didn't you? Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh okay. And so I think some subconscious part of me was like, well, that sounds like a ninja a day ish for three yeah. years. Seems reasonable. That's still very ambitious. I guess it depends on the size, the scale, the intricacy. I guess to me, I was thinking, well, you know, if you're going to do it for a, drawing a ninja a day, right? That's reasonable i think keeping it up for three years is uh ambitious this way i still plan to keep it longer term like more than a year but it'll probably be a ninja a week but you'll try and put some time aside every day to progress the work yeah i think that's the idea whether a ninja will just take me an hour or maybe four days um that will be up to me and how comfortable i feel about completing that ninja and will we be able to see these ninjas yeah so i set up a tumblr even before i mentioned the thousand ninjas uh which is why i realized i've made a mistake did you register the wrong domain name well it's a tumblr blog so (laughs) right (laughs) i i actually uh started the tumblr blog maybe like uh about a month ago and i registered Mm -hmm. 100ninjas.tumblr.com um shit maybe i should buy the domain now I'm pretty sure 100 Ninjas has to be taken. Yes, of course. Yeah, 101? Okay, we could be here quite a long time. <laughs> <laughs> when can we expect the first Ninja? Um, I'm planning sometime this week. That's suitably vague. I mean, if I was your life coach, I would say you should set a strict deadline in which to make it. What would you say if you're Stephen Pressfield? Let's cure cancer by you drawing some ninjas. <laughs> yes, the fate of humanity rests on your ability to draw a ninja within the next three days. Were you meant to draw ninjas? I think yes. you were. <laughs> I mean, how many hours do you think it, would, it takes you to draw a ninja? I've done a dry run. 
And the type of ninjas that I'm starting out with takes me like 15 minutes to draw a ninja. Okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm starting out with like fast sketches. Well, in that case, I expect one done by the end of the episode. Shit! <laughs> Surely like the time that I'm waffling on, you can just like zone out and do a little bit of drawing. <laughs> well, let's say by the time the show goes out, so Monday. Okay. okay. That sounds reasonable. Then as a listener, you can get a fresh ninja. Bam, around that Monday. Ah, that's actually a good goal. Because I'm sure you're, you're, listening, you're listening as soon as the episode drops, of course. Yes, that's a good little side thing for the show. Little sidebar. Oh, Ninja of the Week. Ninja of the Week. If you click through, you can see the latest ninja. I'll make a little jingle. Ninja of the Week. Boom. I'm going to start talking about chapter markers. And if that doesn't send me to sleep, then I think we're, gonna, we're good to go. Okay. In version two of Overcast, it has added the ability for chapters which work just the same way as DVD chapters, so you can tap and move to a specific point in time. And recently, um, a guy called Thomas Pritchard has released a nice app on the Mac App Store for inserting chapter marker data into your MP3 file. So I'm wondering, do we want to add chapter markers to Is This The Show? I think that's a pretty good idea. I think, in particular, Sandra, my wife, she has mentioned that she does doze off during the ge- during the moments that we do talk about games and stuff, which is unfortunate. You mean the bits where you endlessly describe how a game works? Yeah, <laughs> which I think are the best parts. I right, me too. <laughs> I have mixed feelings mm. about it because it will allow people to just skip forward, right? Like, what is the utility in that? Spoilers would be a good use case for Spoilers that. Spoilers would be a good use case. So you could say, oh, hey, if you aren't caught up on whatever show, jump to the next chapter. I'm struggling to think of other reasons. We don't necessarily need to put chapter markers. Overcast has the ability of using timestamps. Yes, it does. Yeah. But if we look at the stats, like the, that's not the most popular player mm-hmm. people are using to listen to the show. So that's not a solution for everyone. Whereas I believe chapters is pretty much universally supported now but i two things come to mind in an already fairly lengthy manual process that we go through from creating each episode Mm -hmm. adding another lengthy manual process seems annoying right i would agree and i'm also reminded of david lynch in that none of the dvd releases of his movies did he allow chapter markers oh really yeah if you want to watch a david lynch dvd you just have to watch it from the beginning that's super interesting which i kind of love yeah he's like fuck you guys no you're not gonna jump around you're gonna have to sit down and watch it all you know what's also really um troubling for me these days i want to say troubling more like an annoyance tell me being able to see where you are in the progress bar of the movie yeah it does take you out of it doesn't it it does and you know when something is closing off or not or when things are going to get wrapped up soon or shit is it going to be a to be continued and you sort of get that sense uh, uh, preemptively and I remember watching this one um, it was a, it was an ad for this one thing with uh, Tilda something in it it was I forget her name she looks like a man oh it was Tilda Swanson yes is that Ron Swanson's daughter no <laughs> that would be amazing it was this online advertisement of like some fashion thing that she was in and the their website had this full screen high production video of her on like the cliffs of Scotland or something like that. And um, I remember it had no progress bar, but it kept going. And it, and then at some point, I just sort of sat back and just started watching it, like enjoying it. And I thought it was, I thought, man, just not having the progress bar is such a different experience now. It's great. Sort of don't know what to expect. That's funny. I've never thought about it, but you are totally right. But back to chapters. Yeah, I'm okay with not having them, actually. So I think chapters, interesting but we're not biting. I agree. So let's move to our new three-letter acronym section. SPGs. What does that stand for, Sam? Shows, podcasts, and games. So the S's, the shows. Go on, talk about, talk about Gilmore Girls. I do. So yes. they're, they're bringing it back. Netflix has bought the rights to the next upcoming seasons of the Gilmore Girls. 
That's exciting. Which is exciting. Okay, good. <laughs> I didn't mean to sound disingenuous there. Right. Um, but I have no context for how exciting that is or not. Right. I think I only partially have the context because I only watched, I would say, I haven't really watched a lot of Gilmore Girls, but I have liked what I watched. When was the show originally made? 2000 to 2007. Well, that's a pretty good run. Yeah. That's a solid run. And now it's back. And now it's back. But I also heard news that Melissa McCarthy was not asked to be in the revival. I didn't know she was in the original. Oh, she is. She is. Um, she was uh, one of the main characters. I wouldn't say the main character. I'd say a dominant side character. Do you remember Friends? Uh, yes, I do. Do you remember Gunther? Yes, I do. I would say kind of like Gunther, but more significant. I do like Melissa McCarthy. Why wouldn't you invite her back? The reason why I think they're not asking her back is because she is like a superstar now. They probably can't afford her. No, not only that. I don't think it's a time It's like they probably don't want the show to focus on her because it really wasn't about her. And she's like a huge personality. Kind of don't want to draw that attention. Gotcha. Yes, like if Gunther had gone on to make Die Hard 4. Exactly. Uh, a clumsy spy movie, for example. <laughs> have you seen it? I have. <laughs> oh, actually, which one are we talking about? Because there's also Heat as well. Actually, The Heat. Let me... Yeah. Heat is Michael Mann. The Heat is yep. Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy. I've watched Spy. Okay. <laughs> I have too. I love Spy. <laughs> I, I did too. <laughs> uh, I just saw it once in the theatre. I, I should... I do want to see it again. I saw it on the airplane, which I think is one of those perfect airplane oh, movies. It is a perfect airplane movie. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's, it's very funny, but also incredibly violent at some points as well. <laughs> it is, but I think... It's like, oh my God. But I think that's what made it great. It sort of had that edge of it having real uh, risks and her being who she is. It was just, uh, I think it was a really good fit. Oh, I can't remember what happened, but there's a scene in like a courtyard and something very violent happens there. And I remember being a little bit shocked but that's not a great story because i can't remember anything about it they're actually yeah there are a lot um uh spoiler alert when she first has her first when she has her first fight she accidentally pushes the guy off of a balcony and he falls and gets impaled <laughs> maybe that's what i'm thinking of yeah he gets impaled on this like pipe that's sticking out and then she accidentally drops his knife and it stabs him and then she vomits on him. <laughs> and then she passes out. But yeah, I think that's what I was thinking of, yes. <laughs> Amazing. And her friend is quite a famous British comedian. Oh, really? She was hilarious. <laughs> yes, uh, Miranda Hart. And she has her own sitcom, which is available, I think it's, it's available for free on Hulu. The complete first three seasons. What is it called? It is called Miranda. <laughs> Where she plays a woman in her mid-thirties that owns a joke shop. I have to watch this now. I have to watch this. It was one of my guilty pleasures. So, you know, that should give you an indication of the quality. Yeah, Gilmore Girls. Now I have this uh, pressure to try and watch all seven seasons. I have no pressure, but I probably should watch some of them at some point. Right, and I think it's one of those shows where when you're, like, tinkering or working, you can just keep it on. It's an apple. An easy apple. It's almost like a melon. <laughs> that does not work. No, that, it does. That, so, that no, melon has nothing to do with an apple. No, so it's, uh, I have to show you my scale. <laughs> I have a full spectrum of fruit. It goes from watermelon <laughs> to melon to apple to oranges to kiwi and then pineapple. Uh, does a grapefruit not make an appearance? Grapefruit is like its own thing. I mean, you don't have grapefruit as often. Well, at least I don't anyway. <laughs> but grapefruit would also be in like the pineapple spectrum. So I do have some issues with that scale. <laughs> you don't like watermelon? Watermelon is difficult. <laughs> like, have you ever tried cutting a fucking watermelon? It's huge. Well, yeah. It's, the knife gets jammed in it. Uh, the seeds mm. everywhere. I think is the, I would say more a grape should be number one on the easy scale mm. the grape is the easiest of all fruit <laughs> it's just hanging there ready to go i will tend to agree but yeah i don't have issues with cutting up a watermelon but i see what you're saying like the right. the bland flavor of the watermelon is very consumable mm-hmm. that means, yeah perhaps it should be a cucumber nope it's not a nope. fruit well a cucumber is a fruit oh fuck 
<laughs> Who can keep up these days? <laughs> Not I. I think the kiwi is misplaced as well. Okay. I think a kiwi is too mellow to be put after an orange. Have you had kiwis? <laughs> Some kiwis are very tart and intense. And that unexpected nature of whether it's going to be <laughs> sweet or tart is a huge factor. I see. Yeah, it's almost like it's got its own thing going on there. Yeah. It's like a roulette, yeah. But mm, the kiwi roulette. I think, yeah, definitely apples and oranges. Let's just stick to that. I'm just thinking of it as like a, fr- a fruit lined up now like on a, on a, like on a scale. <laughs> see my notebook. I have it all laid out. It's amazing you have a problem with procrastination. <laughs> oh, I must do this work. It's deadlines tomorrow. But first... <laughs> but wait, should it be a cantaloupe or a watermelon first? Oh. This week, we've also been watching The X-Files, episode three. Mm-hmm. Mulder and Scully meet a man. What are your thoughts of this episode, Edwin? I was completely baffled during the entire episode. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd just entered a crazy, weird, wacky, fun house of mirrors where up was down and left was right and everything was wrong and what the hell is happening here? Did you like it? Like is a difficult term to define, I find. Mm-hmm. I found it amusing. Mm. I don't know if I liked it. Mm-hmm. And then I did some research because I had, I was like, what the fuck just happened? Yep. So then I went online. Well, yeah, it was like, have I missed something here? Like, what is going on? <laughs> and it turns out I've just missed nine years of X-Files episodes. Right. So I love this episode and I think it calls back to some of the variation of the types of writing that was done for some of the previous seasons. This very much felt like one of my favorite episodes, um, which was called Small Potatoes. And in that episode, it was really strange because it was about this guy who can shapeshift and he tied up Fox Mulder mm-hmm. and shapeshifted into him and started trying to get intimate with Scully. And it was really funny because it showed like um, it showed like moments of the guy trying to get comfortable in like Mulder's skin. And like he did like these really weird expressions and it was really funny. It was really well done. But yeah, like that episode was very reminiscent of this episode. In my subsequent research, I found out that the the writer of this episode had written a lot of beloved uh, X-Files episodes in Mm. the past, I think including Small Potatoes, and he used a lot of the same actors that he Um. had used in some of his previous episodes that he'd written. So I think this guy is like well-known and well-loved by the X-Files community. I think the Small Potatoes episode was actually written by Vince uh, Gilligan. Oh, very good point. Yeah, this was not written by by him. But they actually wrote, um, they shared ideas to write Small Potatoes together. There's like plenty of articles that will show you, they'll list all the little Easter eggs that they had in that episode for people who had actually seen the X-Files before, which was lost on me, of course. So to me, I was like a batshit insane episode. (laughs) But for people who had spent nine years watching the X-Files, they were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah, it was so great. Like, oh, by the way, like Vince Gilliam is one of the head writers for uh, Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm, yes. I think he's the showrunner. He created it, didn't he? Right, yeah. So it also had your friend, Jesus, what's his name? Uh, uh, I don't even know his name. Uh, the guy from Silicon Valley. Oh, yeah. Kumail Nanjani. So it was in this episode where he was able to record that podcast that I was talking about in one of the few episodes back of his sister show. Which I have not listened to. Right. Maybe now I shall. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, I really like the episode. I, I thought that you would also enjoy it because, um, you know, we're 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 fan uh, we're fans of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are. And I felt like every once in a while, Buffy had episodes like this where it was just absolutely crazy and ridiculous. Yeah, I think I didn't have the context from the previous nine seasons mm. that you would get the occasional humorous episode and so i didn't uh did i know that i think like perhaps part of me knew that you know it's not entirely serious all the time mm-hmm. as a viewer who's you know most recent x-files experience had been the previous two episodes <laughs> that's true you're now like oh what the shit what is this you're like you have you're like the first episode sets up this big arc mm-hmm. then you get like a monster of the week episode and then you get this <laughs> Yeah, it is a little, like, it did seem like they condensed some of the the type of episodes, like, into three episodes. So I think it is only going to be a six-season miniseries. Six episode? What did I say? I said seasons. That's, yeah, yeah, far too much. Uh, Yes, it's going to be a six-episode season, I believe. That's a shame. I really hope it continues. So that said, I I mean, I enjoyed the episode, 
but I just had didn't have the context for the deeper appreciation of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can completely see oh. that. And people seem to love that that uh, Mulder has the X Files theme as his ringtone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's so fantastic. Why? Like, I don't understand why that's fantastic. <laughs> like, isn't that just breaking the fourth wall and is just becoming a farce? Isn't just becoming a pastiche of itself? I don't understand. I don't know, but it seems like it would be so fitting. <laughs> that, that's what people are saying on the internet. It's like, oh, that's just so Mulder. <laughs> what oh yes perhaps i was thinking too logically about it like I think he has I, to be watching his own sh- tv show right i might be wrong record, but i yeah. think in like one of the seasons he came across something where there were maybe there might have been some sort of portrayal of him and i can easily imagine like this world has like uh, a show that's like the x-files and maybe that theme song was used and Mulder would actually be a fan of that show interesting episode to me, they're, they haven't done anything wrong. Uh, I'm loving each episode so far. Have you heard any interesting podcasts? I mean, there's a new episode of Hello Internet, okay. which is great. Uh, they talk about germs, guns, and steel, which is a famous, apparently famous book by a guy whose name I've forgotten um, about how did Europe come to dominate the world? Mm. And it's, it's those three things. Oh, interesting. Like why, like why is it that all human beings being created equal, why did Europe become the dominant global power in, you know, 15, the 1500s? Mm. You know, why didn't, why didn't Columbus find Native Americans sailing the opposite direction, going, hey, what's out here? Everyone seems to know that the American Indians got diseases and couldn't fight the germs that the Europeans brought with them. But then no one seems to think to ask, well, why didn't Native American germs then make the Europeans ill? And so this kind of goes way into depth about explaining that. Hmm. So it's an interesting episode. I mean, CGP Grey also did um, America Pox, which is a one of his YouTube videos where he kind of explains some of these ideas. I still have to check out that Lord of the Rings thing from CDP Grey. CGP, yes. CGP. <laughs> That's right. Although I haven't finished the that episode of Hello Internet because they start talking about making a murderer, and I have not watched that yet. So, are you planning on watching it? Yes, okay. I think so. I think like if I don't within the next few weeks, I'm just gonna call it a bust and listen to all the spoilers. Gotcha. But for now, I'm still hopeful that I might actually watch it. So I heard the latest episode of The Sampler, which I'm now a total fan of. Woohoo! And they actually, one of the snippets that they had on the show was of another show called The Heart. I don't know if you've heard of it. I have not, no. Have you heard the latest sampler? uh, We're up to number three now, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Uh, No, I have not. So the episode of The Heart is uh, the story of this one lady. I think her name is Gina Gold. And she, it's, the story starts off that she believes that there's a wall in her vagina and she feels like there's this physical wall that's there. And so she was never able to get very intimate with a person because she felt that there was really something wrong with her vagina. It's this really interesting story of how she then uh, solves that problem by first going to like a sex therapist to talk about it. And then she, ta- she goes to a gynecologist to get everything checked out. And then she finally... So the sex therapist recommends a sex surrogate, which I did not know was a profession that existed. No, nor did I. So a sex surrogate is someone that will have physical sex with you in a way that's, um, I guess, helps with your sexual problems. So kind of like a prostitute, I want to say, but not really. But I mean, you'll see why they are sex surrogates and not prostitutes, like when you listen to this. Mm-hmm. Super interesting learned something that i didn't know and yeah so the sampler also has like another episode that it talks about another podcast that's also uh very interesting but i'll leave you to listen to it what a cliffhanger always with the cliffhangers that's how good shows work so speaking of cliffhangers and podcasts i found out that i can no longer listen to some of the other podcasts that i used to enjoy uh what has brought about this turn of events it's actually happens to do with your editing skills, Edwin. <laughs> oh, Sam, you flatter me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 
even even 99% invisible i don't think i can listen to it anymore what that's a serious fucking show though i know there's teams of people working on that show i believe i know and i heard the latest episode and maybe it was a way that it was compressed oh no yeah and maybe it was the way that the guy was talking into the mic he hasn't he clearly hasn't read that that article on how to get the uh, the trademark npr sound yeah so i i can still listen to all the gimlet shows because they're they sound excellent mm-hmm. yes they are excellent but i can't i can't listen to 99 percent now now we see now i'm gonna have to go and listen to 99 percent and see if i can listen to it and there's also another show there's um this show that i used to listen to called the dice tower which is all about board gaming mm-hmm. i need to find out if if Overcast is going to solve the situation because there's so much gap in between their words. Yeah, that drives me crazy. For the sake of them getting stuff out, they don't edit anything. Yes. And they do talk about really interesting things, but it's eventual that they they talk about it. And it just feels like it drags on forever before they actually get to the meaty parts. So I actually realized that I listened to a couple of more podcasts that I didn't write down in the show notes. I think that's an illegal move, but okay. I shall permit it. (laughs) There was another episode of this new show that was recommended to me through my favorite podcasting app, Overcast. <laughs> Yay! Um, the show is called Explain Things to Me uh, with a couple called, I think their names are Anna Akana mm-hmm. and Brad Gage. And they have people that are experts in certain fields that they're not used to and they come in and they explain what they do. And so in this episode, it was super interesting because uh, they interviewed uh, a woman who is a Twitch caster i was like felix caster what <laughs> oh wow <laughs> bringing that back that's right uh you can tell that i'm not that well involved in the gaming community because i didn't know exactly what that is so twitch.tv is a site that allows you to stream what you're playing on a website like it'd be it'd come out as a youtube video but it would be live so it would stream whatever's on your screen or like whatever game you're playing mm-hmm um, but not only that, what a lot of people do, what a lot of casters do, is that they show a video of themselves as well, and they talk while they're playing, so they'll comment while they're actually playing the game. But the real benefit behind Twitch is that uh, people can then chime in while you're playing. There's a chat where most of the time the, the, the casters are reading the chat while they're playing as well. How do they do that? The play- Yeah, it's really cool, right? Yeah. So if at any point the the video gamer sort of gets confused and um, he or she will ask the, the channel like, hey, you know, like, what should I do? But don't give away any spoilers. And then the chat will then respond back. Oh, you got to go get this thing. Right. Oh, that's kind of cool. And it's really that live interaction that really makes Twitch work. But um, also uh, it's super interesting because it's, you know, video gaming is a predominantly male culture. Twitch is now becoming this place where um, people can earn money by casting. You can you can spawn a an ad on your stream, and people who watch these ads, then the casters will get a part of the revenue from it. And you know, some of the most popular casters get thousands, millions of viewers on YouTube. Yes, mm-hmm. um, okay. live streaming is a little different. It's a different beast so mm, okay yeah youtube a lot of times the people will edit the video to make it super entertaining and like five minutes to ten minutes long this podcast explained things to me had this girl uh her name is i think her her twitch name is it's hafu and it's actually someone that i've been following on twitch for a while and one of the reasons why i followed her is because she's one of the very few uh twitch females that know how to play like really really play games like well um, and also not show their cleavage because there's this really strange tendency on on women on Twitch to show cleavage to try and attract viewers to try and get more ad revenue. You know, it's really interesting because like she actually addresses that on the on the podcast. She addresses like how she got into gaming, um, how she feels in a um, like a, a predominantly male culture. Uh, which is which is all like really shitty yeah um, yeah but yeah it's it was really interesting oh cool i should listen to it i've actually i have downloaded it cool because i saw you had recommended it yeah on our favorite podcast app <laughs> overcast 
not sponsored by Overcast. <laughs> so finally, the last one in the SPGs is I play. I am playing this game called The Witness. Tell me about this. Oh, oh, excuse me. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm gonna try that again. <laughs> <laughs> Enthusiasm while yawning is quite hard to pull off. Uh, tell me about this. What is The Witness? Have you ever played a game called Mist? No. What? No. Is it with a Y? Yes. No. <laughs> like that made a difference. <laughs> so in the game Mist, uh, you're in this strange place, and you have to point your way. You have to point and click your way through. Uh, a different puzzles and sort of solving the mystery behind this place, right? So okay. that was one of the first CD-ROM based games that came out back what? in the oh geez, that seems like the kind of thing I should know. 80s or 90s or something like that. Okay. Um, the witness sort of calls back to that, where it's using like the best sort of technology to show um, this beautiful island that you're on, but it, it sort of starts off the same way. You're 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 in this island and you start out in this room. And from the get-go, you you have to solve this puzzle to go out of the room. But as you do so, you know there aren't any there aren't any signs in terms of text that tells you what you're doing there, what happened to you, or like why you're there. Um, so you have to go around and solving these puzzles. But ultimately, it's a puzzle game. But there's this great, interesting narrative behind why you're there and what this island is all about. The cool thing is, this game was created by this guy called Jonathan Blow. He is this big indie game maker. And he previously called, made, uh, made this game called Braid, which is also a great little indie game that you should check out if at any point you have the opportunity to check out. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. <laughs> but it's also really cool because one of the original guys from Myst is also uh, on the team that made that makes the game but yeah it's i'm working my way through it there it's all like this line based maze puzzle thing that you have to solve in order to unlock like different locations but super interesting so is it as you saying it's like a point and click it's not really like a point and click anymore yeah so it's it's modern day conventions where you have free roaming capabilities and you can walk anywhere and like look up and down and all that stuff mm, okay let's see yeah it's just gorgeous though i'll send some I'll put in some screenshots. Oh, yeah. That'd be nice. Have you carried on playing Touchstone? Uh, I have, but not as much as I like. I think I made it a little bit further than you when you asked me how to solve that one problem. How are you liking it so far? It's strange. There you go. That's it. <laughs> Next section, please. Are you going to... Are you are you going to continue playing it? Yes. Yes, I am. Yeah. Hmm. I'm thinking like a narrative story might not be for you. There's lots of things to hold in my head. Or not, there's things to remember. Like, oh, he was... You know, if that's the case, I might actually have another game for you. But I don't know if you want to take on another game right now. I'm enjoying the puzzle levels. Mm-hmm. The narrative sections, I mean, they're not bad. I kind of, in, I like them enough, but I'm not gripped by it yet. If you if you ever want a uh, to play just like a, a puzzle game that doesn't involve any narrative... Mm, I often do. Twofold Inc. Incorporated. Mm. Okay. That's the game. Twofold Incorporated. It's kind of like two dots. A bit. That was one of my Desert Golf-esque games. I think I got to level 492 <laughs> and then realized this is getting ridiculous and gave up. Yeah. <laughs> I have released my first app into the iOS App Store. Yay! <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, after working on another app for 12 months, I decided to release this app, which was about two days' work, three days' work, perhaps, although mm-hmm. spread out over some period of time. It's strange the things that are difficult. For me, the most difficult thing was making the logo in all the necessary resolutions. Oh, really? Yeah, it does work on iPad, but mm-hmm. I gave up on supporting iPad because I just had to make too many fucking icons at different sizes, and I found it really hard to find a clear description of what icon sizes needed to go into which like slot in the asset catalog, which is how um, Xcode um, arranges your app icons. I'm just like, oh, I'm too, I can't, who, I don't give a shit about this. Wait, we'll just do iPhone only. <laughs> it took about five days from submission to approval. So I think I submitted it on like a Sunday night or maybe Monday night. And then it was approved Thursday. And then I released it Friday. 
what I didn't realise is there's also a waiting place. Once, once the app has been approved, you can then manually release it into the app store. And then that also takes time as well. Like that's not an instant process. Gotcha. <laughs> so like waiting for that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Night Night is a white noise generator because as we'd previously talked about on this show, I sleep with a white noise generator, but all of them I've tried don't do all the things that I want. Like, mm-hmm. like some of them will do one of the things that I want, but not the other. And then another app will do the the different thing that I want, but then not something else. So for me, the things I wanted were no loops. So it was a continuously generated sound rather than just looping an MP3 or a, a sound file. Right. Because like, yeah, a lot of times you can you can tell when the sound loops, even for yes um like commercial sound generators yeah exactly and one of the apps i used you could there was even there was even like a little gap between oh man that sucks so you'd hear it yeah occasionally just cut out for a split second i wanted it to run in the background so if for example i wake up at whatever time and suddenly have an urge to check twitter or my email like it'll still keep playing in the background and then Mm -hmm. i can like turn off twitter and shut the phone down and the noise is all going and I can go back to sleep. Right, and which I want, is key. The most key thing was after after like an interruption, which is kind of what iOS calls something, something like taking precedent over what's mm-hmm. currently happening. So the two examples for me are like a phone call or like a timer. Mm. So for, for when I'm sleeping, when the alarm clock goes off and I snooze it, because I always do, I want the, <laughs> <laughs> I want night night to kick back in after that. So I'm then not sleeping in silence. So those were the three requirements, uh, and which I have fulfilled. And also, nice interface, no bullshit, no ads. Nice. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. I have to tell you that I did take a nap with it with my, with my daughter. People using it with their kids seems to be mm-hmm. quite, a, uh, quite a good use case. I was able to keep it on, and then while she was napping, I was browsing around Twitter, and it didn't interrupt a sound. Excellent. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I did. I really wanted to charge money for it. Uh, you should. And uh, yeah, I wanted to for, you know, the sustainable app pricing, like this mm-hmm. whole race to the bottom where people try and compete on price in the app store, and just people are now used to getting apps for free is not a sustainable model for anyone. Yeah. Well, now that it's completely background, one option is to put a stupid ad on it, or you can opt to just pay it to no longer have ads on it so it's no longer a nuisance. I think those are valid options. Yeah. I think if you're going to get it for free, there are some expectations that users should have. And right. Just as long as it doesn't interrupt the main flow of what the user <laughs> expects. Like, of course, if it's something that interrupts the sound and that's a total bust. Right, you drop an audio ad in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hi, seems like you're enjoying this audio. <laughs> the audio of Night Night. Yeah. Um, so the reason that I didn't charge for it is purely laziness on my part in that I didn't want to have to deal with the taxation mm. ramifications of right. earning money outside of my current employment. Mm, I uh, see. Yeah, that, <laughs> which is not a great reason, um, but I just didn't want that hassle of figuring out what the hell I need to do. Also, the fact I'm in the US on a temporary visa, mm-hmm. and it's not entirely clear that if I can, because I'm here to, you know, my purpose here is to work for Spotify because there is a skills shortage of computer programmers in in the US. Yes. And then if I were to go then make money in the US, but outside of the reason that I am here on my mm-hmm. visa, is that strictly allowed? Is it possible to only sell it to the UK market? That could be an option as well. Yeah, that is that could be an option. Or at least sell it from the UK. Right. So you only get taxed right. from the UK. In the UK, yeah. Yeah, I think you would still then have to declare your overseas earnings even if you mm. don't get taxed on it. Yeah, it just just everything, yeah, all the both right. of those situations just adds additional complexity and for not that much gain like it's not going to be a number one it's not going to make me that much money right you know it's so and it's like my first app and that's true you know, so while i didn't like making it free it was the best decision for the time sure. being if anything maybe this will set you up for a bigger audience right that's a good point yep totally speaking speaking of making money touching uh with apps um i forgot to mention one other really interesting thing about the witness and 
Jonathan Blow is that he's completely transparent in all of his posts. So whenever he makes an update about the game, he goes into depth about like what he's creating without giving away uh, any spoilers. But he's super informative. That really is beneficial for indie game developers. On his latest post, he actually posts how much money he's making from the game, which I thought was super interesting. He goes to say, okay, so here's what I can say without giving like too much details. Mm-hmm. Across all platforms, The Witness has totaled over $5 million US dollars gross revenue in the first week, and it has sold substantially more than 100,000 units. So his first game that he made by himself, it I think total grossed over like $4 million, but that was like a span of a couple of years, and that was Braid. And he put that money directly into making this game, and he was very transparent about that. Um, so it's great to see that they they were able to cover all the costs of making this game immediately. That's an interesting strategy of extreme transparency. Mm -hmm. And I think that definitely works for smaller or independent producers. And I'm I'm thinking also of Gimlet. You know, they put a lot of their own dirty laundry or, you know, business deal, uh, business information out into Mm -hmm. the startup podcast. And you know what, that actually helped their business, you know. So yes, it's interesting. Yeah, secrecy is not always the only option. I think, and I see a lot of indie game developers do this, which I think is very refreshing. And for a person like me, I think it also gives hope to sort of pursuing this as like a, a side project or a hobby because it's it's really interesting to see those kind of benefits come in. Yeah, like before you had bought the game you were talking about, whose name I've forgotten, The Witness. Mm-hmm. If you'd known he'd made five million dollars off it, would that have affected your decision to purchase it or not? No, not at all. Mm. Right, you you have loyalty to this person, in, right? In a way, because you he has previous, he has a track record. You know, he does good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, and I would say, you know, the type of person that would that would not buy because he, he knew the earnings. I would say it's either like sour grapes or kind of shallow in terms of personality. <laughs> right, right. Like, oh, I'm not buying that game. That guy already has too much money. It's like, no, that's not. That's not why you buy games or why you buy something that entertains you. But I wish all the luck to Nightlight. I wish I can help out. Yes, uh, you have some little preview of a uh, a potential redesign, which I'm really excited about. So Sam, you've altered your bathroom routine. Yes, so I'm so glad that you introduced me to the site, The Sweet Home. Amazing. (laughs) I love The Sweet Home. Yeah, it's really amazing. Um, Don't know why I love household products so much, but I could just browse that for hours. Right, the thing is... There's also this really interesting blog called um, House by the Park. I don't know if I've ever sent it to you. No, no. It's an ex-Twitter guy. He came into a lot of money when I think Twitter got acquired. Mm -hmm. And he decided to buy or build a house from the ground up. But he goes into crazy documentation of like everything that he builds about the house. Like what types of mortar he's using, what type of foundation it is, what doors, what doorknobs, what type of wiring, lighting, and all that stuff he used goes into detail of each phase as he's building out the house and the house is gorgeous it's in seattle it's like it faces like the puget sound which is insane oh, lovely yeah um but yeah i'll put that in the show notes and you can check it out having seen something like that and now that i have a house which i feel like i'll be living in for uh, a good chunk of my uh life going forward it's great to have a resource like the sweet home because now i feel like i'm buying things for realsies you know, like when I buy a shower head, I kind of want to put a little bit more money down and buy the best shower head possible because I know that I'm going to be using this for a very long time, right? So it's that much more exciting <laughs> when I'm picking out shower heads. Yeah, it's odd that we're talking about shower heads on a podcast. Surprise me. But I have to tell you about this shower head. It's fantastic. It's a Delta shower head and it uses this thing called H2O kinetic technology, which I'm sure is some bullshit term. <laughs> Kinetic technology. Kinetic technology with shower head faucet like no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it apparently creates uh bigger droplets of water and it sort of shoots them out a little harder than normal. So what this does is not only do you get more coverage for the same amount of water that you're using, but it also retains the heat of the water longer what yes so normally if you're using a shower 
um, by the time you're about a foot away from the shower or like two feet away from the shower, the temperature that's coming out of that shower head is drastically reduced. Even if you like squat down while taking a shower. <laughs> oh my God, I've done that occasionally and regretted it. Yeah, it's a lot colder, right? And this is significant to me because I, I, I give my kids showers mm-hmm. with, that, with a shower head. Right, they are significantly shorter than you. <laughs> they are, and I have to check. Like I have to squat down and say, "Okay, it's a lot colder here, so I'm going to increase the temperature." Right, <laughs> and then you stand up and get scalded. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, "Oh my god, that's hot!" But with this, I feel like it actually does make a difference in retaining the heat magically. It must be the H2O kinetic technology. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. But yeah, it's uh, an amazing shower head, and the cool part about it is you can detach the the little handle. So that you can use it as like a satellite shower head that you can move around, right? Mm, Which is useful. Yeah. But not only that, like when even when you detach it, there's a portion of the shower head that still retains on top that is still showering you as that little satellite handle can be used for washing little children's hair. They have thought of everything. This is amazing. It's like the best shower head you can ever think of. So how was the installation process? Very easy. Like any other shower head. Uh, I have no frame of reference. Unscrew shower head, screw in shower head. That does sound quite easy. I was hoping that it would be like this other shower head, but it's actually not. Toto, which is like a da- Japanese brand of mm-hmm. toiletries, not toiletries. <laughs> yeah, what is the word for this? Fixtures. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, they created this shower head that actually creates bubbles of water. What? Not only is it using less water for an increased coverage, but it actually cleans away more soap residue as you're showering. So what would normally take about two minutes to uh, rinse off your hair, they say it takes like about a minute. There's a rains in Africa joke in there somewhere as well. <laughs> I think it just goes to show it's the little things in life that make the difference. And that's why I always buy the most expensive toilet paper I can find. Good job speaking, Sam. Let's keep that one. <laughs> well done. You managed to not say um that time. 